Like 100 million people have used ChatGPT in a few months. That's the fastest growing software product in the history of software products. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, March 1st. Today, Baratunde Thurston joins me to talk about artificial intelligence, voice impersonators, chatbots, influencers created out of thin air, and what it all means for politics, crime, sex, and whether technology companies are doing the right thing by shipping their products out to the public slowly rather than all at once. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Happy March. I'm joined by Baratunde Thurston. How are you, man? I am good, Peter. I'm, you've caught me briefly in LA between filming... Season two of America Outdoors. I was in Maine for a week. I'm going to Florida shortly after we're done with this conversation. So I am briefly stable and loving it. I love that. Well, on that note, I want to play you this voicemail um, actually just got. Hey, Peter, it's Barack. Listen, I was golfing the other day with Sarandos, who was drinking a little too much swing oil on the back nine, if you know what I mean. But Ted was telling me about your little media company, Puck or whatever. Now, as you know, I'm a media guy myself these days, and, well, I'd like to sit down with John Kelly. I want to talk to him about maybe taking a stake in your cute little startup. But we have to make a deal. Your colleague, Baratunde, he's got a PBS show, America Outdoors. It's good, a little too good. And I have my own show on Netflix where I talk about hippos and trees and nature stuff like that. Look, I appreciate his activism, but between us, there's only room for one outdoorsy show on TV these days. And Baratunde looks way better in blue jeans than I do. So if you guys can find a way to get his show canceled, I think I'd be willing to pony up. Puck style. I'm down for a meet. Anyway, this message is classified as fuck. But hit me in the DMs if you want to chat or just rip a cigarette and catch up. Obama. Out. <laughs> I can't believe Barack Obama oh, views your show God. as a threat. So that's, look, man. Uh, that's great. I mean, look, I, I knew this day would come. I uh, I felt that he was feeling threatened uh, by the fact that there's another black man with a nature show uh, on major media, and he just can't you know can't let me have nice things. That's cool. That's cool, Barack. You know, it's a sign that I'm coming up if he feels threatened. By me. 
They said this day would never come. So, so where did that message come from? So I feel like you joined me on here increasingly to talk about technology's role in society, and you've written eloquently and had some very smart thoughts on AI recently around ChatGPT. So yeah. over the weekend, one of my friends sent me this beta test, which I feel like a lot of these like AI companies are doing, like they launch a beta and you can subscribe and they open it up to a limited amount of people. Anyway, mm-hmm. this is called Prime Voice AI. It's from a company called Eleven Labs that was started by a couple engineers, one from Google, one from Palantir. And basically what you do is I could take anyone's voice. In this case, I ripped a sample of Obama talking to Bill Simmons on his Ringer podcast. Yeah, You upload the audio and it immediately generates, in their words, the most realistic and versatile AI speech software ever. And basically you then type in whatever you want. Yeah. And so my friends and I were messing with this over the weekend. Like I sent one to my LSU friends, Obama singing like it's like LSU fight song kind of thing. And then uh, even before knowing you were just filming America Outdoors, I was like, what can what would Obama want to talk to Baratunde about? <laughs> so I feel bad because I was having so much fun with it. Yeah, I'll say that much. Some of my friends in politics were like, this is freaky. My brother, who's an expert in sort of disinformation campaigns was like i i'm mad that you sent me this <laughs> <laughs> like imagine the imagine the fake joe biden robocalls uh yeah. imagine yeah. like the the pranks and even 11 labs a few days ago had to tweet out like some people are using this for the wrong reasons they're making it, it sound like famous and well-known and reputable people are saying racist and misogynistic and inappropriate uh-huh. things totally um, predictable totally predictable but like we've just talked so much as a you know, in the journalism class, at least in recent months about the chat side of this. And I'm just curious if any thoughts jump out about the audio implications of artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's, um, it's frightening. <laughs> it's, it's frightening. So a couple, couple of things come to mind. One, there's, God, this is just, this is going to be a mess. I think there's a legit use, like I use this software Descript to make uh, one of my podcasts and uh-huh. it has a, a voice autofill feature that I actually haven't played with, but I've seen others use it where you can, you know, do pickups and other small edits uh-huh. based on it having ingested and, and coded your voice to be able to type what you want to say instead of being able to say it, you know, instead of having to say it yourself. So editing assistance, cool, cool. Voices for people who don't exist, cool, you know, yeah. cool-ish. I mean, it's just going to flood the zone with more content and more robocalls and telemarketing is now just going to be all bots. So that's a problem. And probably social media will be mostly avatars and bots selling us things we don't need, which is going to be annoying and a problem. But the impersonation is a real challenge. And, and maybe Elon will want to take 10 bucks a month as a kind mm-hmm. of a voice insurance to make sure no one else can use our voices. Like we're so far ahead of being able to fully control this that it's, uh, it's a bit scary. It's exciting and weird and scary all at once. So the, on the voice side, I've thought a bit about it. And the deep fakes thing has been, you know, a concern yeah, yeah. from a video perspective for a while. But your robocalls thing is like a really, this, the amount of audio phone-based scams that's going to happen, whether it's like a kid coding their parents' voice to call in sick or mm-hmm. someone trying to take advantage of your grandparents or your in-laws, you know, by calling them in your voice, asking for personal information, you know, to, mm-hmm. to socially hack into a bank account. People are going to crime with these mm-hmm. new tools. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a real pain in the butt for uh, law enforcement, the FBI, and like anyone who cares about stability in the world. Yay. 
Yeah. I mean, it's like the thing that's freaked me out a little bit from this Obama clip was it obviously was able to match the like texture and sound of his voice, but it also was able to pretty well kind of pick up on the Obama cadence, you know, like the way that his manner of speaking. Yeah. Um, And it's funny if you if you go on, it'll generate it for you a few times before and you can tweak it before you finally save the audio file. And there were moments when I wanted to mimic the Obama pause when he wants to make a point. And so I just like, he didn't, he was talking too fast. And so then I had to put in like a little ellipses to slow it down. And like, it was just, it was wild, man. Um, And you know, again, I'm a politics junkie. So I was thinking about the way this would influence public opinion and whatnot, but you're, you're absolutely right about scams. Uh, And you know, I think the, Justice Department warned just even last year that like phone scammers are still tricking Americans like out of billions of dollars, you know, like old people. Yeah. Yes. But like also normal people. Um, and it's not we're all we're all on the Internet all the, all the time. But a lot of people are still picking up their phones. Well, and when whatever the wherever people gather, you know, folks will show up to try to make money off those people. Some legitimate, uh-huh. some illegitimate. I, I've been getting SMS spam alleging to be like CVS with regard to. Uh, a flu shot appointment or a vaccine mm-hmm. shot appointment. And I'm just so sensitive to like funny looking URLs that like I mm-hmm. see that and I'm like, that's a bullshit link, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you glance at your text, you see a link from your pharmacist. It says click here to like confirm your order. And you're like, oh, did I order something? I should, did my doctor put something in? And you click mm-hmm. this thing and all of a sudden they're off to the races. Ah, oh, that's a valid mm-hmm. person. We're going to double dip. Here's Here's another layer to this that is troubling and interesting all at the same time. I was actually having a deep conversation with a friend who's deep into AI just this weekend about human relationships with these AI. And, you know, a lot of what pushed Bing off the rails in terms of the outlandish and frightening things it was saying, declaring love and threatening users, was because the conversation went on too long. And it's just, it's unable to kind of hold the memory of the context soundly enough to keep making sense. And so it starts literally sounding crazy. They're, they're going to fix that. They've already reined that in some. And what's going to happen is we're going to be very comfortable, many of us, communicating with a bot, right? We're going to type back and forth with the bot like a, like a digital pen pal, and we're going to talk mm-hmm. like in the movie Her. Right? This is all kind of leading to that. Uh, your company, right? Snapchat just announced, not your company, you don't own it, but a place that you've spent a good amount of your time for money. Uh, they announced that my AI and this kind of bot that you can have in your chat history. So it's already shifting to a social first, not necessarily web research, but like companionship. Mm-hmm. You can have therapy personas that you attach to this. You could take your Barack Obama example and ingest family members who are no longer here, right? And mm. their correspondence and their voice. And you could talk to dead loved ones, which raises a whole like moral conundrum if you don't spend time with your living friends and you're going to be spending time with your dead friends. So in a synthetic kind of environment. So the friend I was talking to raised this as a question of like, is there a positive therapeutic sort of healing use for this to deal with grief or PTSD? Hmm. Absolutely there has to be. And there's also going to be like outright fraud and scammage and this middle thing in between where it's just weird. It's just going to be so weird and for the folks who make content who listen to this right it has implications for casting and hiring and like encoding real actors voices and then what do you pay someone who doesn't go into the vo booth but they've licensed their voice print to you 
mm-hmm. to be used for this ad campaign or this PSA or this publicity tour for the series that they mostly starred in. <laughs> so it's it's um it's a it's gonna be wild. And I think what's also the last thing for now, this is all happening so fast. It's like we were promised this forever, and you could just kind of dismiss it until a few months ago, and now all of a sudden. It's like teachers and governments and law enforcement and families and spouses. It's coming up in all these contexts well beyond the kind of hardcore laboratory, engineering, nerdosphere. This is affecting like 100 million people have used ChatGPT in a few months. That's the fastest growing software product in the history of software products. I want to actually ask you about that, but I want to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life at alma we know the connection between you and your therapist matters but if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming that's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you when you browse their online directory you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing so you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy60. Welcome back, everyone. I want to get to what you were just saying, Baratunde, about how like this is now out in the domain beyond 
engineers and coders and designers now, the, all yeah. of the AI tech. But one thing that jumped out at me when, during the break too was the FTC came out a couple weeks ago and talked about how we've known a long time about romance scams. I feel like this is what Dateline NBC covers like and <laughs> every every week. But you know, the idea that a stranger on the internet can befriend you and either pretend to be a relative or mm-hmm. catfish and basically like try to get you to send them money. There are sextortion scams and that means basically you convince someone to send some kind of, you know, send your nudes basically and then they yeah. turn around and bribe you. Um, and so you know, blackmail you, blackmail yeah. you. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when, when you mentioned her, I mean, that jumped out at me, like the audio AI tech could be at the intersection of these sort of fake internet catfish personas that have duped lo- lots of people, um, but also bring them to life a little bit and like hop on the phone. I mean, Manti Teo got famously catfished back in the day and that's a yeah. huge story, but you know, <laughs> Uh, and that person was weirdly, it came out able to mimic the voice of a woman, but you know, any other person wouldn't have been able to, and they could have maybe just used this platform. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty scary. It's almost like we're creating a new population type. You know, when I, the idea that you and I are going to have ongoing relationships with a synthetic being mm-hmm. that is, you know, essentially a gateway to information to begin with, but also a companion of some kind. It's, you know, you could think of it as virtual assistant. You could think of it as peer or buddy. You could think of it as employee or companion. You know, when you get into this kind of richer relationship that involves audio or video, the connection gets deeper. And Mm -hmm. so, you you know, I mean, we're old enough both to remember that the oddness of seeing someone apparently talk to themselves on a street corner, Mm -hmm. but they just have headphones on and they're having a wireless phone call. And now, you know, the person that they're going to be talking to, the the entity they're going to be talking to is digital, you know, and and is this kind of language model representing whatever body of knowledge. Maybe it's their sports buddy and they just talk all things sports to them. It's got a domain expertise. And so that's going to challenge. I don't know. It's not like we're crushing it on human to human relationships right now. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's going to introduce some real tensions, jealousies, you know, for those of us who have relationships with fellow humans, whether you're as an employer or as mm-hmm. a lover or as an instructor, mm-hmm. this is all going to introduce kind of a new party into the mix. And so we mm-hmm. got to be asking, what are the benefits of this? Like, what's this capable of that we can't currently do? Mm-hmm. Who's driving the development of it? And, you know, what's the business model behind this stuff? Because I think, you know, if it's, if it's attention and ad insertion and CPMs, then we're going to have this perverse incentive to spend all of our time with virtual bots because someone's going to make a ton of money off of that engagement. Right. And so your, your Instagram feed, you're just going to be engaging with little Michaela's, you know, and like <laughs> versions of invented personas well beyond the, the human invented personas we already deal with on social media. That's going to be a shit show. I think there are some positive things that can come of this or some creative uses that I'm also starting to flirt with myself to not just be like this Luddite hater of all things tech, because that's not really how I see myself. I don't either. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, as you said, I work at Snapchat. I feel like I live in a yeah weird gray area sometimes, like where I, <laughs> and I feel this way about media and journalism too, honestly, like I'm an evangelist for the good parts and critical of the bad parts. Um, yeah. By the way, for people listening, um, he mentioned Lil Michaela. Uh, that is not someone headlining Coachella, although 
I believe she has appeared on Coachella live streams as a host. And that is a completely invented fake personality with 3 million followers on Instagram. It is a, I just pulled her profile up, a 19 year old robot living in LA. I feel like it didn't used to say robot on her profile, mm -hmm. but if you look at it, it's like a hip, young, biracial influencer, kind of like the like custom built to be the kind of influencer that would be appealing to a teenager yeah. and endorses products and hangs out with celebrities. And this is all on Instagram, totally made up and is a really successful example of a completely made up her like personality with yeah. a devoted following. And by the way, not of like internet weirdos in the bowels of, you know, Reddit and whatnot, like, you know, cool girls. Like yeah, cool Gen mainstream. Z girls. Yeah, pretty, pretty mainstream. mainstream. And yeah. that's a that's already a success story that I feel like a lot of people our age and older don't really know about. If you felt bad about your social media clout versus other humans, <laughs> just wait till the, the high res bots show up. <laughs> you know, like yeah. we, the, the competition is gonna stiffen because they'll they'll be engineered. They'll be yes. engineered to have the most sonorous voice. They'll be engineered, you know, they'll probably have personalized bot spam. You know, that mm -hmm. comes your way in the form of an unsolicited voice call or text or video message or FaceTime chat. And you can just like hang out, you know, and talk what's on your mind. And, and I think every profession is going to have a sort of synthetic question, like the artificial intelligence question. Do we embrace it? Are we totally against it? Like therapists, mm -hmm. you know, or it's already moved into the world of chat. A lot of therapy services work over SMS now and video conferencing. Yeah. Yeah. The couch is not required. And so you, since you're already through a screen, it's even more plausible to engage with an artificial intelligence therapist who has the benefit of thousands of volumes of texts, you know, and can recall things perhaps more quickly than a human therapist could. Mm -hmm. And so who trains that? Who oversees it? What are the professional ethics? And that's one job. You know, that's, and so I think there's the really beautiful irony that like all of these robots were supposed to come and take other people's jobs, you know, low wage earners, physical laborers. It was supposed to be the, the factory dude. It was the truck driver that yeah. Elon was going to displace. And it's actually the coder, you know, GitHub owned by Microsoft has a feature called Copilot, which allows people, you know, writing in software to have a coding assistant basically autocomplete on steroids uh, for certain modules, functions, uh, libraries to add to your, your program. And they've got double digit percent. I want to say it's something like 40% in a recent report I scanned hmm. of the code that people are kind of logging, you know, submitting on GitHub is aided by, you know, the co-pilot feature. Wow. That's a radical <laughs> shift. Yeah, you know? seriously, man. Yeah. These are the people who created the capability in the first place. So if you are like an AI developer, at what point uh, does the AI itself do a better job of building the next model? Learn to code, AI. Learn to code. <laughs> it already uh, has, yeah. <laughs> One of the final things I want to ask you is something I heard the other day, um, and I'm sure people listening to this might have heard this or read it. Kevin Roos at the New York Times wrote about this experience he had with Bing's AI bot that turned dark and he said yeah. he had a, wanted to you know take over the world and he was trying to convince Kevin to end his marriage and that bot is a bit of like predictive text and it was like Kevin it felt like was guiding the bot to sort of say what he wanted to say but it was still kind of spooky and it was a yeah. really illuminating um, he also talked about it on his podcast with Casey Newton Hard Fork which is really good but one thing I learned from that is that 
Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, OpenAI, which owns ChatGPT, has basically been like arguing that it is more ethical to drip these technologies out now in like beta form to influencers, the public, maybe not open up to everybody, just sort of like A-B test and like see what's mm-hmm. working and what's not. And this is what Sam said about this to TechCrunch uh, a couple weeks ago. This is what he said. Quote, one of the things we really believe is that the most responsible way to put this out in society is very gradually and to get people, institutions, policymakers, get them familiar with it, thinking about the implications, feeling the technology and getting a sense for what it can do and can't do very early rather than drop a super powerful AGI into the world all at once. And so his argument is basically like, if we just hold this close, like our engineers and coders are going to miss stuff. They're not going to be able to like think about all of the flywheel implications of this. Do you agree with him Mm -hmm. that it's like, feels better to sort of like soft launch this and get people like you and me talking about it? I think I'm going to surprise myself and say, I do. Mm -hmm. There is no way that a finite team you know, 500, 1,000 people even can anticipate every scenario or kind of engage with every possible user base, user group, interest group, demographic. So betas are for that. And I think as long as there's major warning flags and labels and explanations of limitations and where this public beta version fits within the long roadmap, so that we're all informed and consensual and engaging in this thing, mm-hmm. that's useful. Um, I think, you know, there's some clouds and questions about open AI. Is it a nonprofit? What's the Microsoft having a stake? Like who's financially driving this thing and what deals have they made? And we're all contributing to making GPT-3 and subsequent versions smarter by engaging with it. So it's back to the social media question. Like we're not paying for it, most of us. So we're the product, we're helping improve it. Can we be very clear about the alignment of interest there? Mm -hmm. As I've alluded to as well, I think there will be some really interesting use cases of this. And when I think about my own experience with ChatGPT, there's some hilarious mistakes. Uh, There's some (laughs) potentially reputationally damaging mistakes if I just copy and paste (laughs) what that thing says. There's also value and humor. And the idea of seeding it with a corpus of text and then being able to interact with the, essentially a database or a, uh-huh. a database of IP in an interactive fashion, that's pretty cool. I can think of certain types of authored works, you know, the collected works of George R. R. Martin and just interact with the Game of Thrones world um, uh-huh. and, and see what a chatbot, what a language learning model would do with language constructed in that way. There's religious, you know, implica- any kind of scholarship in research gets really interesting if you add an interactive chat layer on top of a bunch of data. Yeah. And so I think newspapers, you know, Puck, we can think about this, right? And like, what does it mean to kind of interact with a Puck AI? It could go off the rails super quickly. It can make up facts. With this friend I shared about earlier, you know, he's been this AI developer for a while and there are ways to kind of put guardrails around it. Basically, you tell the thing like, don't make stuff up. (laughs) which is something I don't have to say to you, Peter, when we're in a conversation. I'm just going to generally assume that you're not going to invent facts. I I can't assume that from a certain former president. Of course, that's part of his (laughs) brand. But we have to declare assumptions and conditions so clearly. We have to prompt things with a real level of sophistication and clarity. Uh, And so software engineering, maybe on the wane, prompt engineering on the rise. Hmm. And and a lot of us are going to be put in a position of, to do our jobs and maybe just to live our lives 
we're going to probably need to be good at engaging with this form of technology in the same way that, you know, you have to be good at using a smartphone hmm. to engage in the modern world, generally mm -hmm. speaking, and same mm -hmm. with the search engine and same with word processing and all these other things that a hundred years ago, no one knew what those words meant next to each other. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Brett, for talking about this. Also, for everyone listening, we had a conversation about ChatGPT specifically, I think in December, mid-December, right before Christmas. Go look that up if you're interested. Thanks for joining me, man. Thank you. I'm going to go work on building a ChatGP Tunde instance. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I love a good pun. Good job, dude. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very <laughs> proud of that one. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Hold up. 